Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, you can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.tv. If you're not from our area, but you're interested in kind of our teaching ministry, uh, you can check out our media site, which is c316.tv, not to be confused with calvary316.tv. I hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as I seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions that the world has of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and a genuine way. And I'm going to, I'm going to be real. Today's topic is going to probably upset a lot of people. But before we get there, uh, I, I did want to kind of talk to you guys just a little bit about um, what we introduced last week. Uh, Josh, my producer, was on the air. We've decided that we're going to call these segments once a month or so. Josh will be on the air and we're just going to have a conversation. As a matter of fact, we're calling these segments a 751 mile conversation. And, uh, and that's because it's 751 miles uh, from my studio um, to Josh's studio. And, uh, and, and we thought after, after last week's episode, uh, it was organic. We felt like uh, it represented what we, what we were wanting to do with the Outlaw Radio Show. And so I'd love, love to hear from you. would love some feedback. Uh, would love ideas on things that we can talk about, things that interest you. As a matter of fact, let me go ahead and get, get a little housekeeping out of the way. Because it's one of our desires to have this this interaction with you, the audience. Uh, I want to let you know how you can contact us. Uh, there's really three easy ways, really four, but three easy ways with a fourth. First, hit us up via email. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Please connect with us there. If you go to facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, you'll find us. And then also we're on Twitter. Our handle is radio underscore outlaw. Uh, you can find us there as well. And then the fourth, you can always call in. Um, our phone number is 678-883-3316. Once again, that's 678-883-3316. Uh, it's also the church uh, voicemail. Call, leave a message. If you keep your message pithy and to the point, respectful, uh, we would even play it on the air. Um, and so lots of ways that you can reach out. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you thought of last week's episode and really all the other things that have been going on. Uh, but we also want your questions, your comments, uh, your feedback. It's very, very important uh, for what we're trying to accomplish uh, here with the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, it is February 16th, Friday, February 16th. And something really bizarre has happened. I mean, it, it, from my vantage point, it's as a Protestant, as a non-denominational, really anti-denominational Protestant, something weird has happened across American culture. This past Wednesday, our culture celebrated what's known as Ash Wednesday, marking the beginning of, of this 40-day period known as Lent. Um, I've never understood this. Um, one of the favorite shows that I've, I've, I used to watch all the time, uh, an ESPN show, the host, once a year, would end up with this ash cross 
on his forehead for this one show of the year. And it was weird to me. Like, I just didn't, from my religious context, I didn't understand the nature of Lent, what, what Ash Wednesday was all about. And so I've done some research. And, and it's interesting, Lent. Uh, according to Wikipedia, which is the source, you know, of, of all of the world's knowledge, completely reliable. Anything you read on the internet, believe. And if you think I'm being serious, come on, man. <laughs> but Lent... Lent is a, according to Wikipedia, it's a, a religious observance in the, the Christian calendar that begins on Ash Wednesday and extends approximately, and, and ends approximately six weeks later, uh, and then there's some debate whether it, it ends on the Thursday uh, before Easter or Good Friday. Even some traditions have it ending on Saturday. Now, the, the purpose of Lent, according to Wikipedia, is the preparation of the believer um, obviously the preparation for, for what God's wanting to do in your heart through Easter, it's the preparation of the believer for that event through prayer, doing penance, mortifying the flesh, repentance of sins, almsgiving, and self-denial. Mainly, the purpose of Lent is to fast um, from something um, that you hold dear. It's, it's to make a sacrifice for God in order to prepare your heart for what God wants to do uh, on Easter. And, and this is not a big Protestant thing, admittedly. Uh, the event Lent, Ash Wednesday, these things are observed in Anglican traditions, uh, Easter, Eastern Orthodoxy, um, the Lutherans uh, and Methodists uh, observe uh, Ash Wednesday and Lent. And, and then it's obviously a predominant thing within the Roman Catholic Church. Um, in Lent, Christians commit, and this is kind of the central theme to this, they commit to fasting, giving up certain luxuries um, in order to, quote, replicate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's journey into the desert uh, for 40 days. And I don't actually understand um, uh, the progression of why uh, we're recognizing Jesus is, is, is 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Uh, where he's tempted three times by the enemy, by the devil. I don't know why that fits in here. I, I really don't. As a matter of fact, to, to learn a little bit more, I went to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Um, and this is, what, this is what the Catholic Encyclopedia says about Lent. The real aim of Lent is above all else to prepare men and women for the celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ. The better the preparation... Uh, the more effective the celebration will be, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia. One can effectively relive the mystery of the resurrection only with a purified mind and heart, which is the purpose of fasting. The purpose of Lent is therefore to provide that purification by weaning people from sin and, and selfishness through self-denial and prayer uh, by creating in them the desire to do God's will and make his kingdom come uh, by first making it come into the hearts of, of individuals. Uh, Lent does have a very interesting and storied history within Christianity. Um, Lent was never something, by the way, that was, was mandated or taught by Jesus, uh, nor was Easter, by the way, um, or for that matter, um, Good Friday. Um, Jesus did... Um, institute 
redefined part of a celebration within Passover, saying, hey, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me and not the 2,000 years of, of tradition that Passover has has already represented. So Jesus did leave his followers with certain things to celebrate, recognize, observe, but Lent was not one of them. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus was in the sense that every Sunday um, is resurrection day. It's the new day. It's the new beginning. Resurrection. Uh, every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, not, not once a year. Uh, Lent was not observed by the, the, the first century church. We don't have uh, it ever mentioned uh, in the writings of the early church fathers. Um, if you study the history, you'll, you'll find that the, the idea of Lent was first addressed by the church at Rome during what's known as the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And this was a, an important moment in, in not just church history, but world history, because a merger took place. What I would really say, an, an, an unholy merger of the church and the state, uh, when Emperor Constantine uh, recognized Christianity as the, the official religion, the state religion of the Roman Empire, an empire you should also know it was in decline at the time. Um, so that occurred, the Council of Nicaea, in 325 AD. So the church has been around for roughly 250, give or take, years before Lent is ever introduced um, into kind of the Christian mindset. And if you if you do your own study of it, you'll you'll see that it has a deeper history going back to to, to Babylonian religions, false religions, the occult, etc., paganism. Um, but it introduced it's introduced to the church um, by Constantine. Um, you should also note, if you're a history buff, um, that in 360 AD, um, roughly 35 years later, uh, the Council of Laodicea officially commanded Lent uh, to be observed uh, within Christianity, within Christendom. Um, you know, if you Google Lent and the suggestions for Lent, you know, one of the main, the main things that you'll see uh, that people suggest... Uh, you forego in order to purify yourself so that you get the most out of Easter is eating meat. Um, uh, PETA has actually even come out this year with a series of ad campaigns uh, saying, don't, don't just substitute meat for fish, go full vegan. You know, let's not kill any animals. So we get closer to God. Um, <laughs> there's certain fish stores uh, that really uh, begin marketing um, around Lent um, about eating eating fish, Long John Silvers and, and, and several other um, fish fry type places uh, play off of, of this, this particular compulsion. So one of the big things within Lent is sacrificing eating meat, uh, which I find to be absolutely terrible. Of, of all the things that I would sacrifice, uh, eating meat is not one of them. Uh, I absolutely love steaks. As a matter of fact, uh, for me, I would rather sacrifice eating vegetables or or eating fish um, so that I could just continue to eat meat. So I don't un actually understand what the what the appeal to all of that is, except for that that's a big thing. But but Lent people come up with all of their own sacrifices. I mean, once again, the whole point of Lent is to is to set things aside to fast from certain things. Um, in order to purify oneself so that you get the most out of Easter. Presumably so that you 
you gain more of God's favor. You gain more of his approval. That God's work in your life will be enhanced through the sacrifices that you've made. Uh, that's the whole core concept. And people people sacrifice all kinds of things. Aside from meat, uh, if you Google it, you'll see that, that people sacrifice um, sex. Sex is a big one. Um, Facebook, you'll see more recently. Uh, I'm going to lay aside social media, you know, the good old cause of Christ, <laughs> as if that mattered. Um, people, people give up um, all types of things. Um, chocolate, you'll see that. I'm not going to eat chocolate so that I become closer to God and get the most out of Jesus' resurrection. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb that say, um, this being Friday, that there are even some of you, the listening audience, um, who, have, who have determined to make certain sacrifices uh, to lay aside certain luxuries um, under this entire concept, this religious tradition um, that we have within Christianity. The, the problem I have with Ash Wednesday um, and Lent, aside from the fact that it was never mandated by Jesus, uh, it was not observed by the apostolic church, um, it, it's introduced during one of the most tragic events in church history, the merging of the church and state by Constantine. My, my biggest issue with it is that it it's completely anti-gospel. I mean, it completely runs against the good news that all you need to have favor with God is Jesus and Jesus alone, that, that, uh, that all you need is the sacrifice that Jesus made. That is grace and grace alone. That there are no sacrifices that you can make to cause God to be any more pleased. That he is, he is as pleased in you right now as he's as pleased with Jesus. Because when he sees you according to the gospel, he sees not you, but he sees Jesus. That there's nothing you can do to make yourself more right with God or righteous. When God sees you, he sees you just as if I'd or you, had never sinned. So you can't have a better status than that. And the, the thought that there's a work that I can do to cause God to, to be more favorable, it runs contrary to the gospel. Don't go anywhere. We're going to build on this thought when we come back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. 
Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm talking about Lint. Lint, in theory, it's a novel idea. But if you really get to the essence, making sacrifices for God is anti-gospel. The gospel says that, that because there's no sacrifice that man can make to make himself right before God, righteous, and that it's only through the sacrifice that God made for man and sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins, thus making us right. Like it, it just runs counterintuitive. It counter, it's counterproductive. It, it places an emphasis on the flesh and what you do for God as opposed to the emphasis being on what God has done for man. And to me, the, the grand irony is that we do this to prepare ourselves for Easter the resurrection of Jesus, like the ultimate demonstration of, of Christ's victory, you know, cr- what Christ has accomplished. We lay aside all these things. The irony is God is not asking us to. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, there's an interesting exchange that occurs. Uh, let me read you the section of scripture, and then, and then I want to discuss something. Uh, we read that the disciples of John, this would be John the Baptist, and the disciples of the Pharisees during this particular season were fasting. And they came and they said to Jesus, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then this is what Jesus said to them. He, he, he said, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, we know very little of the disciples of John. The only thing that we really know of the disciples of John is that many of them became the disciples of Jesus. There's this famous scene where where someone asks John about this shifting tide where a lot of his followers are now following Jesus and and John makes the the glorious comment he says he says I must decrease so that he can increase. It's a, it's a it's a powerful thing. But we don't really know a lot about the disciples of John. We don't really know a lot about th- their idea of fasting or the doctrines of fasting that John taught. But we do know <laughs> quite a bit about the religious Pharisees and their traditions and beliefs concerning fasting. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees themselves fasted two days a week. Twice a week, they fasted on two separate occasions every seven days. They would deny their bodies physical sustenance. They wouldn't eat. And they would do this out of an outward demonstration of their love, their dedication, their devotion, their piety before God. Now, the nature of this question that's posed to Jesus, John's disciples fast, the Pharisees fast, why don't your disciples fast? Meaning they weren't fasting. The question itself is based in a very self-righteous perspective. Uh, the perspective is, is kind of like them saying, hey, we fast, the disciples of John fast, why is your disciples, why is it that your disciples are not showing the same kind of devotion to God that we are? 
it's, it's basically the idea that we're doing something for God that your disciples aren't doing. And why is this? Like, like that idea, we're making sacrifices, you're not making sacrifices, implying that we're better than your disciples. Now, the problem with this logic is simple. Like, like, like think about it this way. If you're doing more for God than what's required by God, are you more righteous for it? Like, please consider that for a moment in the context of Lent. Did, did Jesus ask you to, to sacrifice anything in preparation for Easter? The, the answer is no, not scripturally, not at all. Not even slightly. So if you're now doing more for God than what's required by God, does that make you a better person than the person who isn't? Now, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail per se, but but I do think it's important to address the idea of fasting and to try to strip away some of the traditions, some of our preconceived ideas and just look at the idea of fasting from what scripture has to say about it, you know, as well as, as we can factor in church history. Now, not only will this help address this whole topic, and I think illustrate the, the fallacy in this whole idea of Lent, but the truth, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% convinced so many people have a false understanding of what fasting is all about. Let, let me let me define fasting just just very quickly in kind of three ways. Like a traditional understanding of fasting, a practical understanding of fasting, and then a spiritual understanding of fasting. Uh, because fasting is this multifaceted, multidimensional type of thing. Now traditionally speaking, fasting can be seen as the act of, of willingly abstaining from either some food, all food, a drink, an activity for a period of time in order to show devotion and piety, etc. Aside from that, it, it can also just be done for physical and health reasons. You know, it's, it's interesting that there's actually a growing trend of, of secular people incorporating Lent into their own um, their own sense of of self betterment. Uh, I read an article by Vox, uh, which is quite liberal and progressive, talking about why uh, yeah Lent's Lent's a mess. But you know, even if you're not a believer or if you're an atheist, you should still do this because making these type of sacrifices it's a cleansing thing. And, and it's true. Like there are times that I think, from a traditional standpoint, abstaining from something for a physical reason or a health reason is totally appropriate. Practically, and once once again, we're going to define fasting from a traditional angle, practical reason, spiritual angle. Practically, fasting as this act of willful abstinence can simply mean taking a break from something that you, you find necessary or enjoyable, such as a food or a drink, sex, entertainment, etc., uh, social media. And, and the intention of this is actually to increase the physical pleasure or enjoyment of that thing once you've returned from the fast. As a matter of fact, you'll find that that couples that maybe are struggling with uh, sexual fire, sexual energy, 
uh, we'll take we'll take a break, like a one week fast from intercourse, for the purpose of of restirring that passion, so that when you get back together, oh man, it's it's magical. Like like there are times where, from just a practical standpoint, we fast from something. Um, in order for us to have a renewed enjoyment of that thing. So so traditionally, it can be done, fasting can be done for physical health reasons. Practically, uh, there's a practical reason that, that sometimes it's important to fast. But, but there is undeniably this spiritual connotation, this spiritual definition of fasting we absolutely see emphasized during the season of Lent. You see, spiritually, fasting is presented by many religions as a way to deny your flesh something it desires for the purposes of allowing your spirit to grow stronger and exert more dominance over your flesh. And I think it should be, it should be noted that Christianity isn't the only religion that has fasting as kind of a core principle. You'll find the idea of fasting in just about every world religion from from Christianity to Hinduism to Buddhism to Islam you know the idea of laying something aside denying your flesh for your spirit to go stronger to demonstrate a measure of piety and devotion before God uh, this is kind of a universal idea uh, presented within religion now biblically speaking let, let's let's take a few minutes and this will carry over to the next block but let's just take a few minutes and just kind of establish the biblical framework for the idea of fasting. And and and, and just as a side, I'm not talking about it in the sense of, of the traditional purpose, you know, where you have to fast from something for a physical or a health reason or even the practical uh, understanding of fasting. I, I'm, I'm just wanting to address the spiritual nature of, of fasting. And from a biblical, from a biblical framework, it's interesting that the only time we find fasting mandated in the law of Moses, the only time you'll find fasting mandated was for the Day of Atonement. Uh, you, you can read about this in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, uh, Numbers 29. And that was only one day that came once a year, fasting on the Day of Atonement. Uh, this custom was called the Fasting Day as referenced in Jeremiah 36, or known simply as the fast. You even find a reference of this in the New Testament uh, at Acts chapter 27, verse 9. Uh, the first mention of fasting in the Bible is actually when Moses fasted for 40 days while God was providing him the law in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Listen, we're coming up against a break. Uh, please don't go anywhere. We're going to talk more about the biblical understanding of fasting. Don't go anywhere. This is the Outlaw Radio Show. For some of you listening today, this might be a new and different take on Lent. Maybe Lent is something that you've participated in most of your life. Uh, looking back at the history, now taking a corner and considering the history behind fasting and what the Bible has to say about it. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. Pastor Zach will be back in a moment uh, to share more. But we always want to remind you, you can learn more about the Outlaw Radio Show uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, at the website outlawradio.org. 
You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Zach is talking about Lent and fasting. Now here's Zach with part two. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're discussing the idea of fasting in, in the context of this season that we're presently beginning known as Lent. This season of 40 days that leading up to Jesus' death and his resurrection, leading up to Easter. Predominantly something you find uh, within the Roman Catholic Church, uh, but is, is, is making inroads um, in, in Lutheranism, in the Methodists, etc., etc., the only time we find mention of the word fasting, as as we've noted, was was on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, 23, Numbers 29. Once a year, the Hebrew people were to fast. They were not to eat for the Day of Atonement, the fasting day. It was just known as the fast. The very first mention of fasting ever happening in Scripture was when Moses is being given the law. And for 40 days... He fasted, Deuteronomy chapter 9. What's, what's, what's interesting is that there is zero mention of fasting in the book of Genesis. And every, every doctrinal concept, from sin to redemption to sacrificial atonement, every, every big theological idea begins in Genesis. You'll find it in Genesis, but you have no mention of fasting at all in the book of Genesis. And what that means is that, that none of the patriarchs were ever told fasted. We don't have a mention of Adam fasting or Noah fasting. Abraham, the father of our faith, n- never a mention of him or his son Isaac or his grandson Jacob or Joseph. No mention of the patriarchs ever fasting. Matter of fact, the only individual fasting mentioned uh, in the Old Testament, aside from Moses, was King David. Aside from that, you also have a mention of the people of Nineveh fasting, as well as the Jews who were in exile in Persia. In the New Testament, we're told of the prophet Anna who fasted. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, which is what Lent represents. We, We do have mention of Paul and Barnabas fasting. But that's it. It's a very limited group of individuals. Uh, we have mention of fasting. Um, King Jehoshaphat, uh, the prophet Joel, and Queen Esther are three examples of individuals who called for national fasting. But this was done for, yes, religious reasons, but very practical motivations. Isaiah chastised, chastised the Israelites in Isaiah 58 for unrighteous methods and motives behind their fasting. In actuality, Jesus reiterates Isaiah's recommendations in Matthew chapter 9. The only mention of fasting in the Pauline epistles, the letters written by the Apostle Paul, the only mention of fasting is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, when he writes this. He says, You may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again, and he's talking about sex in context, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control, but, and then he adds the caveat, I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. So in the Pauline epistles, there's no mandate to fast. Extra biblical Jewish and Christian writings 
actually, if you're studying the topic, they place a greater importance upon fasting than what the Bible seems to do. And I, that's kind of a, a challenge, but it's true. For, for both the Jews in Jesus's day and then the, the Roman Catholics later on, fasting was presented and seen as a way to prove one's loyalty to God and bring the flesh into submission. That was the purpose. And, and the sad thing is that Lent represents the same ideology, and many Christians, even if they don't celebrate Lent, have similar understandings of what it means to fast. And Protestantism, the Reformers, while the Reformers rejected the Catholic traditions and even went so fast as to criticize fasting as a purely external observance, uh, observance uh, that could never gain salvation, uh, they still presented fasting. John Calvin argued against fasting by saying that the entire life of the religious should be tempered with frugality and sobriety in such a way to produce a sort of perpetual fasting. He still taught a lifestyle of fasting, though he was against the, the Catholic understandings of it. Uh, the Swiss reformer Zwingli, he rejected fasted altogether. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you, if you study Zwingli, I, I think he was a baller. Like He led a revolt against Lent, of all things, um, by going into the public square during Lent and eating a bunch of, of sausage and having a bunch of people come and eat sausage. Meat, right? Now, let me recap a little and kind of set this up for, for the direction that I want to go. Like, what does all this mean? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If you want to fast for traditional or practical reasons, if you, if you need to fast for a health reason or just a practical reason of, of rekindling your excitement for something, like I, I'm taking the next month off of playing golf because I'm no longer enjoying it and my game needs a, needs a break. Like I get that. I, I absolutely get some of the practical and to the traditional importances of fasting. But, big but, if you feel compelled to fast for spiritual reasons, such as Lent, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, but I think you're misguided and may be caught in the same self-righteous trap that the Pharisees were trapped in. Like, let, let me explain my case before you just turn off the dial. First, the Bible never mandates the New Testament believer filled with the Holy Spirit, placed under the banner of grace to fast. There's no mandate in the Bible to fast if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it's, it's not commanded. Fasting is not commanded like communion is or prayer or evangelism, the Great Commission, or, or even presented in, in the, the, the context of like baptism, of something that's not mandated but is emphasized. It's not. Jesus, yes, Jesus spoke about fasting, and Jesus fasted. But he addressed the context, the, the concept in the context of a religious Jewish culture obsessed with fasting for spiritual reasons. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Yes, but you should note 
Jesus never once commissioned his disciples to fast. Yes, Paul, Paul addresses fasting in 1 Corinthians. But he does so in the context of of a practical exercise. And then he goes above and beyond to make sure you know this should not be interpreted as a command, but a suggestion. So please understand, the Bible never mandates you, the New Testament believer, to fast, especially for the motivations of greater godliness or to earn God's favor or it maybe to maintain God's favor, or to draw yourself closer to God. There's only one work that matters, and it's not yours. It's the one Jesus accomplished on the cross. But the second thing I want you to consider is that fasting is not a tool presented in the Bible for gaining victory over your flesh. And that's sometimes how fasting ends up being presented to Christians. One, it's never mandated. Two, it's presented as this tool for gaining victory, greater victory. Like I I even heard one respected pastor, a guy I like a lot. He described fasting this way, as taking time to, quote, feed the white dog of the spirit while starving out the black dog of the flesh. And the problem with that analogy is that it's not biblical. Wouldn't denying the flesh by the works of the flesh end up fostering greater pride in one's flesh? Self-denial doesn't automatically mean self or spiritual refreshment. It's anti-gospel. We're going to build on this. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about fasting for spiritual reasons in the context of this season of Lent that we've just recently entered into. And you need to know, you need to know that if you're fasting to try to draw yourself closer to God or purify yourself, like one, the Bible never mandates the New Testament believer fast. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you're under the banner of grace, the Bible never tells you to fast. Jesus doesn't tell you to fast. It's never addressed in the Pauline epistles as a command to fast. Secondly, as we mentioned in the previous block, fasting is not a tool to gain victory over the flesh. As I mentioned, wouldn't denying the flesh by a work of the flesh end up simply fostering pride in the flesh? Like Just because you refuse the flesh doesn't mean you're feeding the spirit. Like I hear people say, 
you know what, Zach? I'm going to go on a fast in order to reprioritize some things in my life. I need to demonstrate that I've got control over something. Like I need to give my spirit an opportunity, you know, to grow stronger while I beat back my flesh. And, and listen, I understand that that's, that's, that's well-intentioned, but it isn't biblical. Can I ask, are you actually able to beat down the flesh? You see, if, if I'm able to gain a personal victory over one area, you know what ends up being, being the result? I fall into pride in another area. Like if I can master one thing, now I'm proud that I mastered that one thing. And the irony is, is, is pride. Pride makes me more like the devil than anything else. It's been said, and I love this quote, that if self could dethrone self, well, all it would do is wear the victor's crown. And sad to say, many people end up with this view about fasting. Like Ephesians chapter six is clear, crystal clear how you gain victory over the flesh. Paul writes, if we walk in this spirit, then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, it's not you fasting, it's you walking in the spirit. The third thing I, I want to point out is that fasting has no bearing on your relationship with God. Like, do you realize you don't need to do anything to show your dedication and devotion to God but one thing, following Jesus? Like, fasting doesn't earn you heavenly dollars, especially in the context that you've already been given a full eternal inheritance. You've been given all spiritual blessings of the heavenlies. Not only that, but fasting doesn't purify your spirit. <laughs> Why? Well, because you've already been washed clean by the blood of the lamb and filled with the spirit of God. Like I've heard pastors teach that fasting is important because it brings you closer to God. And I couldn't disagree more. If a work could bring you closer to God, if a work could make you more righteous before God, if a work could cause God to listen more intently to your prayers... If that's all true, you're going to have a really hard time rationalizing huge portions of Romans, not to mention the entire letter to the Galatians. Not to mention, if it's by Jesus' work on the cross, and that alone that I can boldly enter the throne of grace, as the Bible tells us, fasting? Fasting doesn't expedite the process. Fourth and finally, you should note that fasting, you know what it ultimately does? at least from my estimation, what I found is that fasting tends to, to lead. And once again, I, I just, as the caveat, I know that there are traditional reasons to fast. I'm not harping on that. If you have health concerns, man, knock yourself out. And there are practical reasons. I get that as well. I'm only speaking to the spiritual component of it, the spiritual component. But I have found more often than not, as demonstrated by Lent, that really all fasting accomplishes is a false sense of one's moral standing. As it was with the Pharisees that Jesus was addressing in Mark chapter 2, these men saw their act of self-denial through fasting as a way they were showing their dedication and their, their devotion to God, as a way they were earning God's approval. Ironically, as Jews, God had only asked them to do this once a year. God never asked them to fast twice a week. You see, this act, as far as the, the, the Pharisees were concerned, 
was nothing more than an empty religious ritual. And what did it do? It created a false sense of self-righteousness. We're closer to God because we're fasting. Your disciples aren't fasting, so they're not as righteous as us. And then Jesus' whole response, if you continue reading through through, through Mark chapter 2, he talks about the bridegroom. He talks about, uh, you know, that he came to do something new. That he was going to flip religion on its head. Like, though fasting isn't a bad thing, and I'm not trying to make that particular argument. I am, though, advocating that there isn't a spiritual place for fasting in the life of the believer. If you're, if, if you're in a fast because you want to be pure so that your prayers have more potency, so that they get more to... Give me a scriptural justification for that. Oh, Zach, I, I want to I fast, you know, so that, so that I can demonstrate that I've got, I've got strength and self-control over, over my flesh. Well, you don't, moron. You don't have any strength or self-control. Self-control is yielded not by you, but by the Spirit of God inside of you. So walk in the Spirit. Fasting has nothing to do with this. You see, there isn't a, a place for fasting, spiritually speaking, in the life of the believer, which means we kind of come back to the root question. If you're doing more for God than what's required by God, are you more righteous for it? God hasn't asked you to fast in Scripture. Jesus never commanded his disciples to fast. It's the truth. Paul never wrote commanding. The only time he mentions fasting, he makes it abundantly clear that he's not issuing a command. So if you're doing more for God than what, what's required by God, are you more righteous for it? And the answer is clearly no. What is asked by God? That you accept his son Jesus and an act of faith. That you accept his grace. That you rest and a favor that has been given, one to be received and not earned and then not maintained by your religious works. Like if you want to fast, even for Lent, let's say, but, but please fast for the right reasons, but never, ever, ever think or fall into the trap that fasting increases your relational status with God or causes God to listen more intently to your prayers, or for that matter, makes you more righteous than the brother that doesn't partake of the same fast. Lent. I don't get it. It's anti-gospel. Listen, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. I've been struggling with a cold. It's that time of year. I just want to let you know the flu is going around. People are sick. It's, it's been a real tough time. <sighs> Praying for you. Thank you for tolerating some of the coughs, a bit of my cold. Um, if you like what you heard today, even if you don't agree with it, but you're like, you know, that was an engaging, thoughtful presentation. Um, I, I want to hear from you. I really do. Just to recap. Info at outlawradio.org is our email address. The Radio Outlaw, our Facebook page. Uh, Twitter 
at radio underscore outlaw. Reach out. Please communicate. Comments, feedbacks. If you just totally hated everything that was said today and it really offended you, let me know. You don't have to agree with everything and you can think for yourself. That's what we want to challenge you to do. But I would encourage you, please, let your local station know that you're very thankful that they're carrying this type of programming in your community. Um, you don't know this, but but these radio stations are not making a lot of money, um, and they're doing this as a ministry to their community. They're using radio to as a tool to share the gospel of Jesus, to have this conversation about how God's grace is radical and really changes everything. So call your, your local station or send them an email, find them, and let them know you're thankful, uh, not only that they're, that they're doing what they're doing, but that they're carrying shows like this in your community. Secondly, I'd ask that you go visit our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. Once again, outlawradio.org. And here's why. From the site, you'll be able to easily access our our podcast, which is available both on iTunes and Google Play, and you can listen to this episode as well as you can catch up on all the previous episodes of the Outlaw Radio Show. Please, very cool. If you go on iTunes, leave a, 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 a rating. It helps our, our trend. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Uh, once again, find us on Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Send me an email at info at outlawradio.org. Uh, Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.